Man, while we were worshiping, I was just thinking how grateful I am for our church and uh, just watching what God is doing is really humbling and really, really amazing. Um, for those of you that haven't been around the last few weeks, we entered into a process to uh, move forward with purchasing a building on the corner of 7th and Wallace. Um, this week, we actually got under contract on that building. And so we have, yeah, that's pretty rad. We, uh, we're like 55 days away now. Uh, if you haven't been around, the other thing that you wouldn't have heard is that we basically have five stipulations that we've put in place, five contingencies on that contract that we need to see come into alignment. So these are opportunities for the Lord to either open those doors or close them. Those things, those five things, just so you know, and you can be praying, are one, the financing, which we got the financing taken care of. Uh, two, it was a special use permit. So the building is a office building right now, and we need to be able to get it to shift to a gathering space. Uh, three, we need uh, an inspection to pass, we need an architectural review, and we need uh, some budgets from some contractors, some bids from some contractors. So this last week was kind of crazy because come Monday morning, the way that the special use permits work is you have to file on the first day of each month for the following month's public hearing. And so we literally had to file on March 1st so that we could get a hearing in April and make it in our 60-day due diligence period so we could see if we were going to um, be able to get the permit. So Monday, all last week, I was calling the city every single day, and I never got a call back. And Monday morning, I called again, and the right person answered. And I said, oh, I've been trying to get a hold of you all last week because we had questions about the special use permit. And the guy said, okay, what are your questions? And I laid them out for him. And I said, so this sounds, this sounds like it could take a lot of time. Like, is, when do you need this by? And he said, I need it by 5 p.m. today. And I said, that's crazy. I'm like, so we, we needed an architect to sign off on it and we needed uh, a bunch of stuff from a title company. And so I got off the phone with him and it was looking bleak. We sat down with the staff. We kind of prayed about it. We thought, well, maybe the Lord's closing the store. Uh, I called one title company. They said, the stuff you need is, will take us a week to get to you. And then I called Seth. And Seth, like a baller, just like calls somebody. And the next thing you know, vice president of a title company is calling me. And he's like pushing it through in hours. And it was seriously amazing. So 4.45 p.m., the last email came into my box, and I walked down to City Hall, and I was like, <sighs> it was pretty, it felt really good, actually. So uh, it seems as though the Lord continues to open doors, which is really neat, and we're just prayerfully um, moving forward and trusting that he'll, there's still a few more opportunities for him to shut those doors if he wants to, but if you guys would continue to pray with us through this process, we would really appreciate it, because it's a big deal. So uh, it's the old Social Security building on the corner of 7th and Wallace, for those of you that do not know. So anyhow, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 this morning. If you guys would turn there with me. And then let's pray before we get going this morning. Are you guys all right? Yeah? Okay. Spring is on the horizon. So I feel really good right now. And my wife said that I need to stop talking so negatively about Idaho and the weather every Sunday. She said, you just sound depressed, you know. And you sound like you don't like it here. And I was like, oh, you know, three months out of the year, I don't really like it here. So 
um, just to be really honest with you guys, it's about to get to the season where I really like living here, and I'm excited about that. So let's pray and thank Jesus for uh, spring being on the horizon this morning. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I thank you, as we do every week, for each individual in this room. God, I know that it's not coincidence that they're here, that you granted them the ability to get here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would do something through your word this morning as we dig into this passage. God, I just trust that uh, it's your spirit that has to do the work of unlocking our hearts and allowing uh, our hearts to sort of be tilled this morning and prepared for however it is you want to speak to us. And so, uh, Jesus, we give you this time. We, we trust that your word will accomplish what you set forth for it to do, Jesus, and that it's not my responsibility to do the heavy lifting. And so, Lord, we invite your spirit to come. Just come and have your way in this place. We love you, King Jesus, in your name. Amen. Awesome. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. If you guys would turn there and say word when you get there. That'd be awesome. Come on, guys. It's 11 o'clock. You got to sleep in this morning. Uh, Matthew 12, 33. It says this. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure, out of his good treasure, brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Before we dig into this this morning, uh, it's important when we dive into a text like this, because if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard this passage before, right? Or if you're a parent, you've probably pushed this one off on your kids, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Poop in, poop out. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how you raise your kids in the church. And so the, this verse, we often will cherry pick it. And when you teach on it, like it's easy to kind of grab this verse and just teach on it at face value and how, just how it applies to us without really understanding the context of who Jesus is talking to. Why is he communicating this uh, like this to them? And then figuring out how does this apply to us today? And so this morning, I really want, I want to do these two things as best we can. One, talk about who is Jesus addressing and why is he addressing them this way? What does that mean? And then two, what, does the, what is the value? What does this mean for you and I when it comes to this passage? But I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. And it's a bit of an unfair question that I'm going to ask you. And I know that in advance. But if you had to pick one thing that you've said in your past that you most regret saying, what would it be? I want you to tell me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> one thing in your past that you most regret saying, what would that be? And again, the reason why it's an unfair question is because there's so much that we can choose from. Like, I'm, I mean, uh, the, the list is probably like a buffet of our lives when we think back on all the things that we've said that we regret, things we've done that we regret. And so where do you even begin choosing like your top five? So w would you go back to the words that you've said in anger and resentment towards somebody else? Uh, would you consider words that you've said to people that have uh, like cut really deep. Uh, as you reflect upon that, you, you probably think of things that you've even said or that have come out of your mouth that have been directed towards somebody that you actually really love, somebody that you actually care for. Or, or would you think about words that you spoke towards people, uh, again, that you love or care, or words that you spoke towards people that were lies, or the words that you spoke towards people that were deceptive, 
Maybe it's something that you said in haste that you couldn't take back. And sometimes, perhaps, there were things that you, you literally thought about long and hard, and you premeditated it, and you said it, you acted on it, and then you spent time after that regretting that you actually set that up and followed through with it, and you actually said it. Or maybe it's something that you just said in the moment because you were trying to cover up something, but you said it, and you've never made it right. Or maybe... They were words that were connected to decisions that you've made, like a simple yes or a no or something in your life, which led then to action steps that have now transpired and have turned into your life today. And you have regrets, maybe because of decisions that you've made. And I know this sounds kind of like a downer, but would you go there with me this morning and allow your mind to kind of think through what are some of those things, things you've said, things you've done, things you regret up to this point that you wish you could take back? Because for most of us, there's probably a laundry list of things that we wish we could take back. And that's, again, why it's an unfair question. And the reason why this list is so long is because of this. Like, there were things that came from your mouth, from your tongue. And this tongue, according to James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says it's untamable, that we can't tame it. In fact, what James says is that human beings can tame almost anything, but they cannot tame the tongue. And I think it's pretty accurate. I mean, we can tame almost anything in the world. Anybody ever been to an aquarium and watched dolphins jump through a loop? Pretty amazing, right? Anybody seen a lion tamer? Have you seen an elephant stand on one leg? Like, there's some amazing things that people have been able to tame, but despite all of those things, we can't tame this pink piece of flesh that sits in our mouth. We can't tame the tongue. And what's interesting is that James actually says that your tongue is sort of a restless evil, that it's actually full of poison. James talks about how our tongues are double-tongued, like that they're from the same mouth, from the same exact tongue come words of praise and words of blessing towards God, and then on the same tongue come curses and words of evil cast out against other people that were created in the image and the likeness of God. How interesting is that? And so again, the tongue is untamable and it has the potential of saying all kinds of evil. Last week, we literally saw as the Pharisees opened up their mouths to begin to utter this evil at Jesus Christ. They were saying that Jesus does all of the work that he does by the power and the influence of the demonic, literally by Satan. They, they refer to Beelzebul, um, as Satan, like he wasn't in the, what they were saying was he was not empowered by, he was not moving in the spirit of God, he was moving in the spirit of the enemy, of, of evil, of the devil. And they were basically making the accusation that Jesus' ministry, like his work, the miraculous things that Jesus did, the healings, the setting people free, that it was coming by the power of the prince of demons. So last week we saw that the religious elite were declaring who Jesus was and, and why he was as a result of the power of Satan. They were trying to convince others that this was the case as well. That's what they said. But as I said last week, it's important for us to know what they said, but equally as important for us to know why they said it, which brings us to this passage that we're in today. It starts with this verse that reminds us of the passage that we were in last week that was prior but then it sort of takes us into this discussion about the words and, and the words we say and why we say them. So if you look at verse 33, Jesus says, either make the tree good, coming out of last week's, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So stop there for a second. 
at, at first glance, I sort of think this passage is a little bit confusing because I want you to notice the word make that's used there, that Jesus is using. Either make the tree good or make the tree bad. And that word make isn't being used to speak of building or creating like we are used to that use being word. Like if you said, I'm gonna make a pie, this isn't how Jesus is using that word. It's actually a word that's being used in context, in context to mean consider it to be is what he's saying. So the way we use that today is if I was to ask you about somebody and say, what do you make of John? That's how Jesus is using this, this word, make. And so what, what I'm asking you when I ask you what you make of John is what are your impressions of John? Like, what do you think about him? What kind of guy is John? What do you make of him? That's how Jesus is using it. And so this is what Jesus is calling the, the Pharisees to in verse 33. So coming out of last week's passage, Jesus is calling the Pharisees to either declare the tree good or the tree bad and, and do this by looking at what? The fruit that comes off of the tree. Jesus says, for the tree is known by its fruit. Bad trees don't produce good fruit, and bad fruit doesn't come from good trees. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now, another question you might ask in, re in reading verse 33 is then, who is the tree that Jesus is referring to? And in this context, Jesus is sort of speaking of the tree as himself. Um, he's the tree, and he's referring to himself. However, he's also referring to this tree as being the Pharisees, and then I, I think we also can refer to ourselves and put ourselves in the position of this tree as well. Uh, but there, here, here's what Jesus is doing. He's pointing out the absolute absurdity of their statement regarding Jesus being empowered by Satan, by the evil one. He says, Pharisees, look at what you see. Like, literally stand back and see what's happened. Like, I've healed lepers. I've casted out demons. I've raised the dead. I've healed the sick. I've restored fellowship with people. I've given sight to the blind. I, I've, I, I've given people the ability to speak. And when you see what I'm doing, you've determined that I'm doing that by the power of Satan. It's ridiculous. And so what is the devil's work that he does? The devil brings chaos. The devil's a destroyer. He doesn't bring light and praise. He brings darkness and he brings cursing. That's the fruit that the enemy provides. That's what his tree bears. But that's not what you're seeing. And so what does that say about Jesus, the tree, based on what you're seeing? It means that Jesus is good. He's a good tree. For if the fruit's good, the tree is actually good. For the tree is known by its fruit, is what Jesus says. But what the Pharisees are saying is that good fruit is being produced by a bad tree, and that's a ridiculous argument. So if you look at verse 34, Jesus calls them this brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. We saw this phrase before directed at the Pharisees earlier on in the book of Matthew in chapter 3. He called them a den of serpents, like a bunch of snakes. They're dangerous. They're deceptive. And in fact, Jesus is calling them bad trees because they accuse him of doing good by the power of Satan. The, they literally attribute Satan to the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's the unforgivable blasphemy referred to in the prior passage that we talked about last week. That was 
their fruit. And Jesus is literally contrasting for them his fruit and their fruit. And then Jesus is standing there surrounded by people whose, whose lives have been impacted for good by the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was probably like, look at these crowds. Like, remember him? He was dead. Now he's brought to life. Remember that person? They couldn't speak, and now they speak. Remember them? They were blind, and now they have sight. Remember her? She could see. Remember that guy? Like, I set him free. Like, that's my fruit is the point that Jesus is making. But Jesus isn't done, and he presses them a little bit further. And I think he even challenges us in this statement with regards to the words that come out of our mouths. And Jesus highlights these two realities connected to those words. One is this, that your words expose, our words expose. The second thing is that our words matter. They actually have weight, they matter. And so I wanna take them one by one. First, our words expose. Read verse 34 and 35 with me. He says, you brood of vipers, How can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And so here's what Jesus is saying coming out of these two verses. What he's saying is, how can you speak of that which is good when you're evil? How can you do that? So Jesus starts with one of the most basic principles of the Bible as it relates to our mouths, that what comes out of our mouths actually exposes what is inside of our hearts. The mouth simply speaks what's already in the heart. That's what Jesus is declaring in these verses. If you go back to the book of James in chapter four, verse one, James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, that you desire and do not have, so you murder? that you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Jesus said back in Matthew 7 that our actions reveal our hearts. But what he says here now to the Pharisees and to us is that our words do as well. Our words reveal what's actually going on deep down inside of us. Paul Tripp, a well-known pastor and author and speaker, sort of doubles down on this in, in a book he wrote called War of Words, and he says this, Word problems are always related to heart problems. Jesus says that a person's words come out of the overflow or the abundance of the heart. In other words, words come out not only because of what we go through, but because they were in the heart already. They already existed. Uh, I brought this water bottle bottle this morning, and it's, you know, about half full. And uh, this water bottle, just a basic, general, generic, Kirkland Signature water bottle with regular water in it. And what's interesting about this water bottle is when I shake it, like it's plain water in a plain water bottle, but when I shake it, what happens to the water inside? It comes out, right? Sounds sounds pretty simple. If I was to come to you this morning and say, like, how in the world did the water get on the stage? What would you say? You shook the water bottle. Like, Chris shook the bottle. Like, that's a really good answer. You guys are smart. I'm very proud of you. But there's another answer as well, that water actually got on the stage because water already existed in the bottle prior to me shaking. Like, the water was actually already on the stage and in this water bottle. It just took me shaking it in order for it to get out. All I did was start shaking it. Listen to this quote. A person may carefully monitor his words most of the time, But the pressure, the shaking of evil thoughts, anger, stress, pain, or the associations they keep will eventually force his or her real thoughts and attitudes to the surface. They'll pour forth in the form of words. 
So when the Pharisees, get this, when the Pharisees were shaken, what they said about Jesus was that he does this by the power of Satan. The minute they're shaken and everything's in question, they attack him. And they don't stop there. They also say that they conspired to kill him, that that's what they said when they were shaken. And my question for you this morning, church, is what about you? When you're shaken, what comes out of you? What's there already? And all you need to do is add a little shaking. Isn't that an amazing question? Like what already exists in you that once it's shook, begins to now pour out? And the reality is we do not like this question. Because what we like to do instead is just blame the shaking as the problem, right? So we'll even speak of people, to people, um, uh, like speak into people's lives and we'll say things like, if you just get your act together, this wouldn't happen. If you would only change, if you would only pick up after yourself, if you could only get ready a little bit earlier, this is for all you spouses in the room, if you would only understand me better, if you would only appreciate me more, if you would only listen to me once in a while, then this wouldn't happen. Or sometimes we think that if we could just create a life where we just surround ourselves with peace and with serenity, then you'll never have to worry about being shaken in your life. So let's do all we can to have peace and have calm and never have to go through a shaking. And let's do all we can to make sure that, that, that they that they get their lives figured out, that you just keep it from being shook because they exist to make life easier. That's what we want. And if we can just figure that out, then the stuff that's inside will never actually come out. But here is the problem, is that shaking in your life is inevitable, is it not? Anybody ever lived a life without shaking? No. I mean, to be radically honest with you, we refer to the last year as being like kind of a monumental year globally and in our nation, but the reality is that if the last year shook you, there's a lot more coming. There's a greater shakening, shake, shakening, shaking coming. And what is inside will end up coming out. And people have watched it come out in the last year and been like, where in the world did that come from? Well, You've actually been putting it there for a long time. It took a real destitute time in your life. It took a real shaking for it to actually spill out for other people to actually see it. But you know what else is also inevitable? Not just the shaking, but it's inevitable that at some point in your life, the water will come out. It will. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when Jesus makes a statement, what does it mean that out of the abundance? that it has to be full and then it overflows out, right? So something's been going on in there and building up in there for a while and now it takes a shaking, something that maybe everybody will go through at some point in their life for the whole thing to just start spilling over and not only are you kind of caught off guard at what's coming out of your mouth and out of your life, but other people are caught off guard by it as well. So water coming out is a given. But what's interesting is that it doesn't have to be, um, what doesn't have to be is like the type of water that comes out of you. And what Jesus is saying is like, there's good trees, good trees that produce good fruit and there's bad trees that produce bad fruit. And in the same way, if the shaking's inevitable and the spilling of the water in your life is inevitable, it doesn't always have to be bad that gets shaken out. Because it all is de dependent on what it is that you're 
putting in. None of us in this room are empty. All of us have something. And what that something is, is actually revealed in our lives. And this demonstrates what's going on inside of us. And the idea that the solution is to simply stop the shaking. Like, honestly, in the last year, I felt like so many Christian Americans, like their, their goal is to just preserve peace and just to keep things stable and not allow a shaking to happen. Because if a shaking happens, everything in us comes out, right? Everything is revealed in that moment. We just want to play it safe. I don't want the shaking. And so the first reality that I gave you was that word problems expose heart problems. And if our hearts don't change, then we will not change. And if we're not changed, guess what? You're not his. That's the reality. His people are changed people. The heart is changed, and what comes forth from us is drastically different because it comes from him. So the issue for us isn't simply the words themselves, but it's where they came from. You can be deaf, you can be mute, you can never have uttered a word in your entire life and still have a bad heart. The reasons why the Pharisees say what they said and why they can't speak of that which is good, even though it's right in front of them, is because their hearts actually won't even allow them to. That's why Jesus asked this question in verse 34, how can you speak good when you're evil? And the honest answer is they can't. They cannot speak good because there is evil in their hearts. And so let's get really practical with this next point. I want you to notice some things. When I asked you to go back to the things you've said or the things in your past, the reality is that some of us only have to go back to this morning, don't we? You don't have to, some of you just have to go back to the car ride to church this morning. Some of you just go back 15 minutes. I only have to go back a few days. Like I, I literally had this experience in the last week where uh, like a month ago I hurt my back really bad and I was out for two days like I couldn't walk even and I've slowly been recovering and I've been going to a physical therapist and having him work on my back and getting some relief here and there. And it seemed like everything was going well. And then uh, maybe like five days ago, I was taking my son to school and I was walking into Bryan Elementary and I slipped on some ice and landed on my back. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like everything in me that wanted to come out was not good. And I got up and I'm like hobbling and I, I, I drop him off in his class and I'm walking back out to my truck and I'm thinking to myself, isn't that interesting that everything in me felt so frustrated, that everything in me just wanted to like scream words that nobody at Bryan Elementary wanted me to scream, you know? And it's like, this is the truth that's coming out in my heart. So I get in my truck and I drive down to our office and I get out of my truck and I'm walking in the office, slip on the ice on my back again in our office parking lot. And I'm like, you're kidding me right now. You know, I'm just like so ticked off, but I can feel the rage and the anger. Like I don't see red often. I don't get frustrated often. I'm just like, oh, this is so frustrating. And you realize in those moments when there's a shake, you get a quick glimpse at what is actually in there. What's going on in there? And until the shaking, man, if you can preserve the shaking all you want in your life, you may not have to actually see what's going in or what you're putting in, but eventually it will be revealed. Eventually it will come back up. And so in verse 35, I want you to notice what Jesus goes on to say. He says this in verse 35, 
the good person out of his good treasure, listen to this, brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Listen to that. I specifically want you to notice this word treasure that comes up twice in this passage. In the Greek, it's the same word that we derive the English word thesaurus from. And it literally means a treasury of words. So we either speak out of the good treasury of words, or thoughts, or meditations, or we speak out of an evil treasury of words and thoughts and meditations. And so here's the first question leading into this time of kind of response and application that I wanna give you this morning, is what's in your treasury? What have you stored up? What is it that you're harboring this morning? What do you think about? What do you dwell on? What are your fantasies? Do you live in a state of anger or resentment against someone or something? Do you spend your days marinating in that? And and what the heart or the mind dwells on and feels on is what it's actually full of. That's the reality. And that which fills the heart is that which the mouth inevitably speaks. Somebody once told me to think of the heart as a well and think of the mouth as a tributary. And what comes out of the mouth flows from your heart. And so what do you feed your treasury with? Not only what's in it, but what do you feed it with? Like, what do you read? What do you listen to? What do you talk about? What do you watch? What do you think about the most? What is it? 25 years ago, like my, you know, growing up, I, I loved music. And there was a ton of music that I listened to in the 90s that I regret listening to. And it's the most interesting thing to me. Like, I could be just doing something random and have a song pop into my mind, and it's like I can sing every word to that song and know exactly how it goes. It takes one little trigger, and that thing's coming out of me, and I'm like, whoa, that thing hasn't, I haven't heard that song in 20 years. And it didn't take much for that thing to get triggered, and for me to actually know every word that's in it, which is shocking sometimes, isn't it? When you remember those kinds of things, and you're like, wow, that, that was stuff that I spent a lot of time putting in here. I, I just, I took it all in. I'm not going to get into the, you know, secular versus Christian music thing. It's not worth it. Like, I love secular music, but I'm saying, like, we have to be careful with what we allow in. Because you're storing something in your treasury. You're storing something there. And when the shaking comes, what is stored in that treasury will come out. And it will be good fruit or it will be bad fruit. So what are you storing up this morning? And as you think about the time that you spend thinking um, uh, and meditating and reading and listening and talking about your treasury, how does that measure up against the things that God actually has for you? Because Paul says in Colossians 3, to set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Our second reality is this. Words exposed was the first. The second is this, is that our words matter. And the reason why they matter is seen in these last two verses, verse 36 and 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Simply put, like, your words actually do matter. These two verses, just like verse 33 at first glance, are kind of confusing, especially verse 37, where Jesus says, you're justified by your words. Like, what in the world does Jesus mean by this? 
Like, I thought I was justified by Jesus in his gracious work on the cross, that if we respond to it by faith, we repent from our sins, receive his work in our place, that he takes our sin and that he declares us righteous. That's how I thought justification works. And so what is it that Jesus is saying? Paul himself in Ephesians 2 says, none of us are saved by our works, so none of us can boast. We're saved by faith in response to the grace of God. So why is Jesus saying you're saved by your words? I want to challenge you this morning. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying that at all. Jesus is not saying that words are the basis of salvation, but they are actually a reliable evidence of your salvation. That that even apart from their works, the Pharisees said enough to actually evidence their unregenerate hearts. Like you knew what was in there by the things that the Pharisees were saying. The Pharisees said things that revealed the the darkness that actually existed in them. And so words matter for that reason. Words matter. They reveal our hearts. And in this case of the Pharisees, it reveals the type of tree that they were. And so it is for you and I. But they matter for other reasons as well. They matter because of what Paul writes in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And then he goes on to say, for with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So words matter because with our mouth, we confess what we believe in our hearts about Jesus. And it matters. And when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe it, it matters. That's why you can be the nicest and most amazing person in the world, never uttering a bad thing to anyone, about anyone, out of your mouth, and still have an evil heart because you've never confessed Jesus as Lord. And this is what Jesus is getting at with these Pharisees. Later on, he's going to call them the whitewashed tombs, meaning you look great on the outside, but the inside is rotting away. We've raised up generations of church people in America that are no different than that. Whitewashed tombs. You did the right things. You said the right things. Your heart was actually never regenerate. And what Jesus wants to do is convert the heart because Jesus knows if the heart is converted, then what comes forth from the life is actually the result of good roots with a good tree that's gonna bear good fruit. What we say on earth matters. And words matter because one day, you're actually gonna give an account for every careless word you speak. People who confess Jesus are called to be people whose mouths are actually used for Jesus' sake. We have this amazing gift called the mouth that Jesus has given us for some weird reason. Um, I, I was, this week was kind of funny. Heather had our phone bill and she was like, she's like uh, joking about the amount of text messages that my son sent in the last phone cycle. And she's like, your son sent X amount of text messages on the last bill. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot. She's like, it was nothing compared to yours. And, and, uh, and the interesting thing is like, we are always interacting with people. We are always engaged with conversation. Like we are constantly involved in people's lives. We're always saying things. And so it matters what we say. And when he says in verse 36, or uh, yeah, verse 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. This word careless means lazy. It means useless. 
And so it's talking about words that tear down. It's talking about words that just are not helpful. And there's been a lot of those shared on Facebook in the last year, right? We as believers are called to speak hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to one another. In Colossians 2, 12 and 13, Paul goes on to say this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. He says, put these on daily like your armor. Get up every day, put these on because our days are full of interactions with people. May we be careful with what we put in and mindful of what comes out, amen? So where's the hope in all of this? question I asked at the beginning, asked you to think back, things you've said or done that you wish you could take back or you regret, which in think, if you're anything like me, thinking back on that stuff actually feels pretty hopeless. It's like, oh my gosh, I've said a lot. I don't know if I could find all the words for all of them and remember all the things that I've done. But as we close, I want to give you a few action steps that hopefully provide you some hope and some clarity and direction. And the first one is this, is that our hearts need to be changed. If our words flow from our hearts, and therefore we want our words to be changed, our hearts have to be changed first. That is where you begin. Our hearts of stone need to be converted to hearts of flesh. We need new hearts, and so we need to become new creations, which requires us being spiritually reborn, a work that only Jesus can do. And every week I say this, if you're here this morning and you've never been reborn, like your heart has not been regenerate, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus and proclaimed him as like king and lord of your life, that you're going to follow him. If you have not done that, then do that, because otherwise you're going to leave here And we're going to do behavioral management, and you're going to leave, and you're going to try to say the right things and do the right things. All the while, the inside is rotting away. And what Jesus wants, first and foremost, is your heart to be changed so that what comes forth is actually a result. It's actually covered by, it's actually infused by the spirit of the living God, by the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross for your and I's sins. So some questions to leave you with. What are you taking in right now in your life? Like what goes in the most? Are you feeding the spirit or are you quenching the spirit? Are you walking by the spirit or are you resisting the spirit? Are you starving the flesh or do you need or, or do you feed the flesh every chance that you get? Which of those? Where are you at this morning? And what's amazing is that as we take communion this morning, there's a couple things that we do when we take communion. One is we remember who changed our hearts, but we also remember how he changed our hearts. And the hope-filled part of this this morning as you come forward and take communion is that ultimately we take communion as a reminder that though our words and our actions have fallen short time and time again in our life, Jesus made up for him, amen? Like, your mind might be riddled with regrets and things you've done. Jesus made up for that. That's the hope-filled part. And when we come forward and take communion in a moment, we're remembering 
his body broken, his blood shed. Not any work that we did to earn this or to get to this place of being forgiven, but all the work that he did, that he extended graciously to us through his son, through his death, and through his resurrection. You get to be a part of this. You get to step into this. Be these spirit-empowered, grace-filled, love-drenched individuals that go out into the world changed from the inside out and our interactions with people are different not because we've learned to modify our behaviors but because the king of kings and the lord of lords is within us and we seek to honor him with the words that we speak because we think that there's weight to them that they matter i'm going to invite one of our elders uh neil to come up here and um, neil's going to lead us in a time of communion this morning and i'd encourage you like as we as um, Neil uh, presents communion. After we get done, there's going to be an opportunity for you to come forward and take communion and an opportunity for you to sit. And we're going to sing a couple worship songs. And it's an opportunity for you to respond because somebody's heart somewhere needs what Jesus is extending to them this morning. And if you're here, this is the perfect time to receive what Jesus has for you. So I'm going to hand it over to Neil and we'll get to communion.